Jesus, your voice is loud and beautiful and good. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts today, that we might hear that voice today. May we hear you speaking our names over us today, Lord. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I was meeting with a, a, someone who's relatively new to restoration this last week, and he asked me, are there any crazy people at restoration? And this was a question that came from some uh, past experiences that he had in other churches, and I said, we're all Christians here, and not, I, I should rephrase that, I, I should say, well, we're Christian, and Christians are a little weird, I told him. Uh, it reminded me of kind of a phrase that one of my professors uh, in college said, Dr. Jerry Root. He said, there's two kinds of people in the world, those who are goofy and they know that they're goofy, but then there's also another group, those who are goofy who don't know that they're goofy. Uh, and he said that there's a third group, actually, that's relatively dangerous. It's those who are goofy, they know that they're goofy, but they don't want anyone else to know that they're goofy. Um, I see some smirks in there, like maybe that's you. <laughs> um, and then I, in seminary, I had another professor, Dr. Patricia Outlaw, that's her real name, Dr. Outlaw, and she would say kind of the same thing, but in a different way. She would say, I got issues, you got issues, all God's children got issues. Well, we are in a season of Lent now, and throughout this season, we've been preaching through several conversations that Jesus has been having with different people throughout the Gospel of John, and all of these people have got issues. We talked about Nazareth, or, uh, Nazareth. we talked about Nicodemus, and his issue was his doubt. Uh, he also had the issue of wanting to protect his reputation. We also uh, talked about the Samaritan woman and her issue of her ethnic identity and her theological confusion and her issue of her sexual past and the shame that that brought upon her. Last week, Aaron preached about the man who was born blind and the issue of his brokenness on his body and how that had sort of uh, societal repercussions of that. And so he was also a man marked by shame. And today, we're going to be looking at the story of Lazarus. Can you guess what his issue is? What's his issue? He's dead. That's a big issue. <laughs> it's a challenging issue, isn't it? Um, it's a difficult issue. But this story isn't just about Lazarus and his issue, um, but Mary and Martha are in this story as well, and they carry some issues of their own. They carry an issue of deep sadness with them, and also tied up with that is the issue of being mad at Jesus, which how many of us couldn't resonate with that? How many of us have experienced death taking away a loved one from us prematurely, or maybe taking a dream away from us, or some kind of desire that we have, or some kind of hope for the future that has been taken away from us, and we get mad. We get mad at Jesus for that. So what do we, um, so let's, let's move through this passage this passage, and we'll look at the issues here. And I want to move us through this in three separate scenes. So the first scene. Jesus learns pretty quick, right out of the gate, that Lazarus is sick. And then we're told there that, uh, Lazarus, that Jesus is friends with these people. He's friends with Martha, with Mary, with Lazarus. I wonder what that friendship would have looked like. And it's interesting to me how much we actually don't know about the life of Jesus. 
Throughout the Gospels, we're told quite a bit about his relationship with his apostles and his teachings, but apart from that, we don't actually know that much. And so I wonder, what would have meant to be friends with Jesus? What would have been like to walk with Jesus as he journeyed from place to place, or to take care of some of the chores in the community, or to joke with one another, or to take part in community events with one another? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were one of his friends. They had shared history with Jesus. They could have shared stories about Jesus and him about them. They were his friends. Which makes this next part all the more confusing. In verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. That makes no sense. If he loves them so much, why didn't he you know, hustle and bustle down to Bethany. Or he could have done what he's done other places in the scripture. He could have just whispered a word or just flicked his wrist and Lazarus would have been saved. He wouldn't have succumbed to death. Jesus was absolutely able to keep Lazarus from dying. It was absolutely in his power. And instead of doing something about it, he stayed where he was for two whole days. I wonder what those days would have been like for the community, for the sisters, knowing that Jesus has already received the message by now. He's not here. Where is he? Well, this uh, eventually, uh, Jesus grabs his things and they start heading to Bethany, and sure enough, Lazarus dies. And what's weird about this is it's actually Jesus who tells them that Lazarus has died. He's already cued into that. It's as if this sort of reinforces the idea that, yes, he's fully aware of what's happening here, and yes, he fully intended to wait until Lazarus died. And he tells them, he says, Lazarus has died. He says in verse 14, but Lazarus has died so that you may believe, so that you may believe. And just a point of clarification, it's not that that they don't have belief in Jesus, they have some belief But Jesus is doing this because he wants to fan that faith into an even greater flame. Now, he says, he's died so that you may believe. But to those of us who who have both feet here planted on planet Earth, that sounds like a pretty lousy reason. Especially if you're like, well, I already believe in you, Jesus. What do you mean? You know, what, what does belief mean? What is faith? And what good is faith if it doesn't give me any sort of comfort or any sort of benefit to this life that I'm in right now. Jesus seems cruel in this moment. But what he wants, what Jesus wants them to know, and what he wants us to know, is that Jesus values faith more than our bodily comfort and our worldly comfort. Jesus thinks that faith is more primary than our health and our comfort of this world. Jesus is allowing his dear friends to descend down into the valley of the shadow of death in this moment. And that feels cruel. But he does so because faith is of the utmost importance. So that is the first scene. Well, as they're on the road, as they're journeying, journeying, Martha comes to him and she says to him, Lord, if only you had been there If only you had been there, Lazarus would not have died. This is a story written thousands of years ago, but as I read those words, it's as if Martha is 
standing right here with us. Probably because we've all asked this question of Jesus in some sort of way. You can hear the pain in her voice. He died four days ago, Jesus. What took so long? And now you're here, but it's too late. He's dead. Well, not only is she an example of someone who's hurting, she's also the example, example of someone who has faith. Because here she has her issue of sadness. She has her, her issue of being mad at Jesus. And what does she do with it? She goes and she places it at his feet. Even in the midst of all of her brokenness, her confusion, her anger even, she still goes to Jesus. May we do the same thing, brothers and sisters. May we do the same thing. May we, like Martha, articulate our sorrow. May we vocalize our pain. And may we share it with Jesus Christ. Because it's in those hardest parts of life, in the depths of those those valley moments in which the stars of God's glory shine the brightest. It's when he reveals his goodness to us the most in this great paradox of life. Well, it's in this moment when she faithfully brings her issues before Jesus that he meets her with a beautiful statement, a profound statement, one that speaks to us and and shapes us and encourages us today Jesus is so gracious with her. He's so kind to her. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this is a mind-bending statement, is it not? I mean, I'll, I'll explain a little bit of this, and it doesn't totally land on Martha. It doesn't totally land on us either. How can we say we fully understand what this means, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Let's take a stab at it, though. He says he's the resurrection. Jesus says that on the last day, that is at the close of time, when he decides to come again in glory and power, that it's going to be faith in him, trust in him, belief in him that actually raises us up on the last day. I am the resurrection, Jesus says. But he also says, I am the life, which is to mean that when you believe in him, that eternal life that goodness, that, that peace, that, that, that peace that, that surpasses all understanding, that, that hope for a heavenly banquet, all of that begins now. That abundant life begins now is what Jesus is saying. To believe in Jesus means that we're, we're mystically united with him. That's what happens in the waters of baptism. We're, we're bound to Jesus. We're mystically united with him. Which means that when the body dies, our life will continue with him. His life is eternal. His life cannot be destroyed by death. So he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Did Martha understand that? How much of it did she understand? What would that, what have been going through her mind at that moment? Well, Jesus asks her. He says, do you believe this? In verse 26, she says, yes. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, that is the Messiah, I believe that you are the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. I love the faith that she exhibits in this moment. It's incomplete. Yes, it's confused. And if you've been paying attention these last several weeks, you'll notice that that's kind of a theme of of humanity. Uh, Jesus is so gracious with us, even when we don't fully grasp it or understand what it is that's going on here. And we know this because later, Martha's completely shocked by what it is that happens. So she doesn't understand totally what happens here. 
but it is nonetheless faith. All right, the third scene. So Jesus goes to the tomb. On the way, Mary comes now, comes to meet Jesus, and along with her comes also the crowd of mourners that come. And Jesus sees Mary, and he sees this crowd, and he sees that they're all weeping, and he's, he's overwhelmed by the emotions that they're having. Jesus empathizes with them. It's, he, he's caught into the moment as well. He sees them. He sees how the sudden death and the loss of Lazarus has moved them, and the Bible tells us that he is deeply moved. Now, that word in the original Greek for deeply moved, when it's, when it's used to describe an animal, it, it's, it means that the animal is snarling. You know, it's like, a, it's like the animal sort of growling at you. And when it's describing a human, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like the human is, is the person is mad and, and getting agitated and angry. And so we hear this passage and we think, he's not just deeply moved, he's ticked off. Jesus is mad here. He's upset here. And so he's, he's weeping, but he's also angry. And I think that there's a, a word for us in this moment. It is okay and good to be sad and angry at death. That is the proper and right response. When death comes our way, if, if, it, if it takes away a loved one or, or threatens us, we are supposed to get mad at it. That is the right Christian response here. We weep because there is an interruption of intimacy and friendship. We weep because there's a loss of the beautiful and joyful fruit of of knowing someone and being known by them. It is good to grieve death. Well, Jesus has just said that he is life. And that is a, a common theme throughout the Gospel of John, and throughout the the entire scriptures. But what is the enemy of life? It's death. It's death itself. Death hovers over every human being. Death gnaws away at our bodies, and it rattles our hearts. Death's inevitability threatens our hope, and it interrupts our dreams. Death is the enemy of life. Death's reign over this world is a relentless terror. Do you feel that? I mean, we've just come through these past several years where death has just been looming over us, this, this cloud that's been threatening us over and over and over. And yes, and Jesus, like a wrestler preparing for conquest, confronts death. He goes to the tomb. He is not scared of death. It does not put him off. Death does not threaten him, does not gnaw away at him. So what does Jesus do? He goes to the tomb. In verse 41, he lifts up his eyes in prayer. He lifts up his eyes. That is, he directs his attention upwards. He directs his attention that which is beyond this world. Because brothers and sisters, there is nothing in this world that will defeat death. No science, no technology, no wishful thinking. Jesus directs his eyes beyond this world and he looks to the Father. Even though God is far and other and outside of this world, God is also our Father who loves us. Who loves us. He is the good Father who loves his children. 
And so Jesus' prayer is one of intimacy, but also one of hope and one of power. And then Jesus calls out. He calls out with a loud voice. That loud voice descends into the cave and it, it hits the body. It hits this cold, smelly, disfigured, decaying body. This powerful voice crosses the chasm between the the world of life and the world of death. This loving voice doesn't just say rise in a generic sense. No, this voice of love calls out the name of his friend. He says, Lazarus, come forth, come out. And from the land of the dead, Lazarus comes out. He comes out. It doesn't matter that his body has been decaying. It doesn't matter that the blind man's eyes, he didn't, you know, maybe he didn't have eyes or his eyes were damaged. Jesus is able to unite the soul and the body. Jesus is able to reanimate this lifeless, decaying body into a body of health and beauty and strength and goodness. Jesus is the creator, the creator and the giver of life. Not only can he heal the lame, cast out sickness and restore sight to the blind, He can even bring back a decaying body from the grave. What sort of parties did they have after that moment? Because surely they didn't just kind of go back to like, I don't know, what did did Lazarus do back then? Maybe he was a carpenter too. He didn't just go back to work. I mean, eventually he probably did, but I, I bet he was just feasting like crazy and celebrating like crazy. And just telling that story over and over and over again. What would you want to ask Lazarus? I'd be like, what was it like being dead? (laughs) What was it like hearing your name from wherever it was you were? What was that like? I mean, I have so many questions here. Well, no doubt the community was changed. The Bible tells us the community was changed. Many believed on account of this. The fame of Jesus just took off. And some responded to this in belief, but some also responded to this with rejection. They went to the religious leaders. They said, this is getting out of control. Jesus is not able to be controlled. We need to do something about this. And that which the disciples originally feared is coming true. This is the event that that triggered the events of Holy Week, of the crucifixion. But as for Lazarus, the rest of his days, before he would die again, <laughs> but the rest of his days, he, I can't imagine that he feared death. He probably knew that it was just a momentary thing. Uh, St. John Chrysostom says that we actually shouldn't call death, death. He says we should call it the sleep of sleeps. And if you fear death, well, then you should just fear going to sleep as well because it's basically the same thing. I bet that's how Lazarus lived his life, just kind of going to sleep and wondering, when am I going to wake up and see Jesus and feast with all the saints of old? So what can we take from this? Well, first, brothers and sisters, death is not the end. There will be a day at the close of time in which Jesus will come back again in glory and in power, and his voice will rattle the entire cosmos, and he will call out all of our names, and we will rise again. Death is not the end. And if you believe in Jesus, 
if you've placed your, your faith in him, your trust in him, if you've given your life to him, if you love him, if you follow him, then you will be risen to life with him, abundant life with him, that eternally good and beautiful life with him. But the Bible is clear. If you reject the giver of life, then what waits for you is eternal death. The Bible is clear about that. And so my question for you is the same question that Jesus asks of his friends. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the giver of life? Do you believe that Jesus is the one who can lift you out of the grave? Because that is a free gift, that faith, that resurrection. The Bible says confess your sins Place them upon the cross where Jesus takes them and atones for them, makes payment for them so they no longer chain you, that you too can be free from the grave. Do you believe this? Jesus asks us. Well, secondly, I think a takeaway from this. Well, let me just say this. We've, we've been talking a lot about what Jesus does in this passage, how Jesus weeps with those who weeps. Jesus goes to the dark places. He goes to the tomb, that which is uncomfortable, that which is unclean, that which is disgusting. Jesus goes there, and he divinely commands new life. That voice that spoke over creation, that voice which which heals the sick, he speaks that voice again, and new life comes forth. But look what the community does throughout this. The siblings petition Jesus. They find Jesus. They carry their issues to Jesus. And the friends are invited to roll away the stone. They see this barrier between Jesus and the dead. And Jesus says, get that out of here. Roll that barrier aside. Move the heavy stone. And the friends get to do that. They get to participate in this work. And then afterwards, when this dead man walks out of the tomb, Jesus says, unbind him. Unbind him. That is a cry of victory. Go and unbind him. He invites the community then to go and, I mean, was that gross for them? (laughs) Like, were they like, what's going to be under here? I don't know. But as soon as they see Lazarus in full health and just perfect health standing in front of them, I bet they were just freaking out and exuberant and celebrating. And Jesus gives the friends that honor of celebration. Friends, we are in a culture of death. It is everywhere in this world. We don't value life in this world. Death threatens us all over. Our schools are filled with death. Our our workplaces are filled with death. Our neighborhoods, our own bodies will succumb to death someday. May we partner with Jesus Christ because he is life and resurrection. Death is not the final word. And he's inviting us, restoration, to participate with him, to partner with him in declaring the good news of his presence. And so we get to Petition Jesus on the behalf of those, on behalf of ourselves, but also on behalf of our loved ones. We get to listen to the Holy Spirit and get directed to where these stones might be and roll those away. And we get to participate in unraveling people as they, as they give their lives to Christ, as they experience new life, and we get to celebrate with them. May it be so of restoration. May we be a community that unbinds the dead, that celebrates new life, that proclaims the truth and the beauty and the goodness and the reality of the resurrection. Amen. That's what Easter is going to be about. 
please come. Please come. Please come to, to Holy Week. Please come to next week to um, uh, Palm Sunday and all the events of Holy Week because we're going to descend to the grave. Spiritually speaking, we're going to, uh, metaphorically speaking, we're going to journey with Jesus through the grave. We're going to descend into the depths there. But then we get to celebrate the goodness of the resurrection, and it is going to be a celebration. Who in your life needs to be a part of that? You don't need to be a Christian to come to Holy Week. <laughs> Invite those who aren't. May they witness and encounter Jesus this week. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, your voice is powerful. You raise the dead. Thank you, Lord, for claiming us as your own, Lord. While we were rebelling against you, when we were slaves to sin, when we were slaves to death, Lord, you reached out, you called out our name, and you gave us life. Lord, thank you for that eternal life, that it begins now. And that, Lord, we have the inheritance of the Holy Spirit promising us that you will raise us up on that final day when we will feast with you forever. So, Lord, as we begin to um, consider the events of Holy Week and embark on that, Lord, may you prepare our souls. Lord, thank you for the faith that you've given us, Lord, but may you deepen our faith as we see you and the things that you have done, Lord, that you've defeated death, Lord. May you increase our faith that you might be glorified among us. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.